Welcome back to The Four Gardens Podcast. My name is Jake Ifshin. The Four Gardens are an approach I'm developing to cultivate a life of balance, joy, connection, and abundance by focusing on four key areas of life. On this show, I talk to people inspiring me in those four areas of health, nature, creativity, and service. To learn more about The Four Gardens, go to the website fourgardenspodcast.com and make sure to like and subscribe this episode to hear new releases and support this project. Creativity is one of the gardens I feel most passionate about exploring in my life. My creative expression through my artwork and through this podcast has brought me so much joy and many insights into myself and into the world. My guest today, Meli Huang, has been one of my key supporters in growing into my creative potential. In addition to being a good friend and an inspiring artist in her own right, she's also a creativity coach that I've had the pleasure to work with. Let's jump right in. Welcome to the show. So good to have you on. Thank you so much, Jake. I'm so happy to be here. Um, This is an honor to be part of your podcast and can't wait to see where our talks take us today. Me too. I've been really excited for this conversation and you're one of the big supporters of this podcast. I'm not sure if it would exist or exist in this form without your help and the coaching we've done together. And I'm really excited to also spotlight that today. And I'm imagining a lot of people out there haven't heard of creativity coaching or creatrix, as you call it. Would you share about this practice you have and how you're supporting people in the world? Sure. Thank you. Um, Yeah. So I call myself a creatrix uh, simply because when I was brainstorming ideas for what I wanted to call myself, I said, first of all, there is no rule against why I can't call myself a creatrix. And second, it kind of gives me this like power, you know, of owning my energy, owning my space. Um, And so being a creatrix is essentially someone who helps others um, stay accountable to their creative goals and unblock creativity. Um, So much of it has to do with our psychology. I'm you know, a master's student right now in uh, psych, and I'm like pursuing my um, LCPC, uh, which means that I'm going to be able to practice therapy, um, you know, once I obtain my license. Uh, So a lot of my practice has to do with, you know, figuring out what it is that's going on mentally that is stopping you from being as creative as you can be. Yeah, let's use, uh, let's use our work together as an example, too, for how you can support somebody. I mean, I think that can make it more tangible for people, too. If, for me, the, what th- the obstacles we've identified, and I'd like to hear your take on this, too. It, a lot of it was overthinking, over worrying about what other people thought, um, some of my identity issues. What's my identity as an artist? And the, getting through the vulnerability of, of sharing. Those have all kind of listed a few different blocks that we've worked on, and yeah, those those are all things that we've we've talked about in the sessions. Yeah, together. Yeah, and you know it's uh, not too uncommon that these blocks are what come up. Um, oftentimes, it's two main blocks um, for people, which is perfectionism. Um, so all the things that you were talking about, the overthinking, the identity, the um, you know what will other people think about me. Is, this, is my art good enough? Um, those are all such common things that I hear when I talk to people. You know, I've had these conversations with um, probably close to about like 50 to 100 people now, like just having these one-on-one um, uh, conversations about creativity and it's always what comes up. Um, the other thing that is really potent is um, the time management and in particular prioritizing our art. Um, I think as we're growing up, it's always been the norm in uh, traditional school systems to say art is, you know, something that you do after you have finished your work 
Um, and so it's natural that as we grow up, it art is like often put in the back burner. It's something that we do as a reward. And oftentimes that reward never comes. Um, so a lot of times when I talk to people about their art pieces, they're like, oh, well, I just never had time to finish it. Or I would if I had the money or the resources. And, and even that, it's um, you think about like, well, how are you prioritizing your money, time, and resources? So in all of that is so deeply ingrained within us, um, the by our society, by the expectations of others. Um, and so that's why I think having a uh, clear, you know, approach in psychology um, really helps with unblocking creativity. Is there one of these challenges around perfectionism or time management? You know, I, I, I'm, I'm actually like laughing because I, I don't haven't really talked to you that much about this, but is there one that was key for you in overcoming? Because I am amazed. I'll share your Instagram and your other art you're doing uh, in the in the description. But I experiencing you as this very expressed person and this very creatively bold person. And what what challenges have you worked through to get to where you are? Yeah, well, it's funny that you say that because actually, I think for most of my life, I did not believe that I was a dancer or an artist. Um, I've been taking art classes and dance classes since the age of five. And it wasn't really until like the age of 20 or 21 that I really started to uh, drop into my creative self. Um, I think a big aspect of that was taking some psychedelics and being able to really drop into my body and let go of what people th thought of me. Um, but growing up at, in dance studios um, and art studios with teachers breathing down your breathing down your neck and like comparing yourself to other people uh, really takes a toll. And I'm sure that there are other artists out there who feel the same way. Um, I And going back to what helped me break through was really tuning in to why I really love dance, why I love art. There was a point when I stopped doing um, art or dance for myself. And I started doing it for the approval of my teachers, of my parents, of what I thought other people wanted me to look like. So uh, choreography in particular, I think is a big thing that stops people from believing that they're, that they're dancers because choreography, you're right, there is a right or wrong. If you ma make a wrong move, you're not doing the choreography. Um, but it's so such a norm these days that we are teaching choreography before we are teaching the joy of dance. And so people hit that choreography and they just wanna give up because it's not how they want their body to move. And so in my work, I try to kind of switch that around, you know, bring that joy back to people and remind everybody of their inner dancer, their inner artist and, and why they want to do it, why, why it's a really essential part of life to find joy and creativity. That's powerful. And I notice in the, in the things we're talking about that there are these two poles of the practice of how you've supported me. One is to focus on the joy like what you're saying, why I enjoy writing poetry or dancing or podcasting. What do I love about it? There's this important, that's first. And then, and then I think what you're saying before, perfectionism and time management, these are, are related to fear. These are related to, it's not done. It's not perfect. I'm not ready. I don't have the resources. I don't have the, I'm not good enough. These kind of fear stories that crop up. And I also see your role as bringing attention to these different manifestations of fear of exposing the fear, exposing the shame too, to the light where it doesn't live, it doesn't live long when you expose, it comes back, uh, but, but more softly as, as I expose those to the light over and over uh, and test those fears, I notice they diminish too. So yeah, I'm just reflecting on how there's these two sides of your work. Yeah, that was greatly put. Um, and you know, I'm not, claiming that I'm going to eradicate those fears. You know, uh, those fears are there for a reason. Those fears are probably due to some deep-seated um, stories from your upbringing um, that 
I can't do. I can't just like make them disappear in one or two or even eight sessions, right? Uh, however, what we can do is notice the fear and then help you um, appraise the situation a little bit better. Um, and what I mean by that is, for example, a stage fright, right? Um, someone who wants to go up and perform, but is really anxious and has this fear of, let's say, people laughing at them if they are um, not doing well. So what I would do in that case would be try to talk to them um, to see what is the core of that fear. So you're afraid of people laughing at you. Why, why are you afraid of that? Um, it, it might be because you believe that if people laugh at you, it means that you're, you're like embarrassing yourself or that you're not good at this or whatever. And then so uh, talking to them about the root of that fear um, and then, and then uh, the next time they go on stage, think about like how real is this fear? How likely is this to come true? Help you appraise the situation a little bit better, assess um, the situation instead of like having those automatic thoughts that dictate our behaviors and maybe stop people from expressing their fullest and truest self. I want to reflect too that this is a practice. I think doing that. I think you would agree that uh, I've had a lot of expansion working with you because I'll get through a fear and I'll expand out. I'll try something I never thought I could try—a dance move or a, you know, we're talking about stage fright or I'm doing improv comedy now. I'm getting myself out there and performing in other ways and trying things that scare me. And I'll go through these great waves of expansion, but then the, with expansion, there's always contraction. Just I was just talking about this on the last episode with Ann Kite of like how dance works in our body. And we, um, what I really appreciate about the coaching practice, you know, I'll commit to eight sessions with you because it's not just like, it's all solved. All the fears are gone. The fear comes back. There'll be that moment where it creeps back into my head. Like I'll have, we'll have a few calls where I'll be like back in the old stories. We'll get back in or the old, the judgments or shame will come back. And the, the practice is to, is to stay with the joy and to look at that fear in the face. And I've really felt supported coming back and revisiting the fear when it comes back. And I do feel like there's progress, but it's like this continual grad, gradual, it sometimes like moves fast, slows down, moves fast, slow downs for me. It's like organic evolution, but it, it is really important. So I talk about, yeah, curious about that, of how important this is to engage with creativity as a conscious practice and not just as something you do without thinking about it. Yeah, um, I I think that everybody can make maybe ten or fifteen minutes a day in their life to just dedicate to do to do something creative, um, and this comes back to prioritization, right? Um, and it's you know no surprise why it's hard for us to prioritize that um, when we've been told our entire lives that um, creativity is an option, it's not a necessity. But once you start doing it, and once you have a conscious creative practice, um, it almost starts to feel like uh, breathing. It feels like air, you know? It, you, you, can't, you go a day without doing it and it feels weird in your body. It's kind of like exercise. And so uh, part of my uh, role in being a creativity coach is to get people to that point where creativity stops feeling like an option for them but it starts to feel like a necessity. Like it's a necessary part of life because us as humans, we are, um, you know, what separates us from animals is that we're able to create so easily. And so bringing them back to that awareness that creativity is an essential part of life and developing um, really like personalized creative goals that helps them meet that may be 10 to 15 minutes or even five minutes if that's what they want, but just start and meet them where they're at and um, have them feel like having creativity in their lives and doing that every single day is essential. That's really the first step. For me early on, the outward accountability that you offered too, of setting goals together, looking at troubleshooting, why am I not getting to my mandolin, getting to my writing practice each day. That accountability, it, it does help a lot to have that, to, to figure out how to fit in the 15 minutes to my day. 
And you also said something about creativity being essential too. Um, and I want to hear too more about, you know, I'm something I'm just curious about of, of why creativity is so essential. Why is it important to you? Well, I think we talked a little bit about the intersection between creativity and mental health, but let's just like dive into that a little bit more. For sure. Um, so I, in, in the past, before I started um, do, working full-time as a creativity coach, I worked um, primarily with trauma populations. So homelessness, domestic violence, uh, sexual assault, um, you know, I, and I ran art groups for some of these organizations. And I, I also worked as a case manager. So I knew, um, you know, most of my clients like individually as well. And I would see the power of just maybe talking to them while they're doing collage or um, talking to them after the art group session and seeing how much they've improved from that, um, it, but by being able to solve their own problems and think outside the box, that's really why I became drawn to this to this work because, really, therapists and coaches and you know uh, gurus or whatever, they're not here to try to help you um, solve your problems. They're here to help you solve your own problems. And so when we incorporate creativity into our everyday lives, um, we start to be able to see our problems from a different perspective. Um, it's almost like we're hitting a pause when we're creating. And, um, and in those moments when, we, when we're creating, our unconscious starts to come out. Um, and the unconscious is really where all of those deep-rooted insecurities, issues lie. Um, even the problems that feel like very present right now, a, a lot of the conflicts is due to the unconscious thoughts. And so when we're able to practice that creative muscle, we um, allow those unconscious thoughts to come to the surface a little bit more. And then we solve our problems ourselves that way. And that's where I really want my clients to get to is when they're able to creatively solve their own problems. I really resonate with that and I see it as I've been relating to it in a way of it's both in the problem side of things and the possibilities too. the way I see this potential of creativity of myself. I look at my own life of like, I'm limited by my own creativity, how creative and, and how courageous am I willing to be? They go together. When I think about designing my life, like what's possible for me, you know, I think I talk to people who are stuck in spirals of depression or anxiety and I feel how the contraction, again, going back to that idea, they're limiting their set of possibilities too. When we're in that, when we're getting, finding our way out of those mental, you can, you can characterize it more professionally than me, but these mental kind of uh, anxieties, depressions, kind of, um, we're stuck in a mindset, you know, a certain way of seeing the world. I mean, you talked about psychedelics too, changing your mindset. And I think that's the great power and the hope these offer therapeutically too for people is to radically shift the narrative they have about themselves and their world. And, and then I think creativity is part of that. And then to embody that going forward in their life, to design a life, to design activities, to choose things that are a different way of seeing or living. I think creativity is hugely powerful in helping people that way. Yeah, let's, you know, um, I'm really glad you brought up um, like mental health because let's just break down some of those automatic thoughts that come up with anxiety and depression, right? Um, often with anxiety, it's about future thinking. It's thinking stuff like, I can't possibly do that, um, or that other people will judge me if I do that. Um, and, and you ruminate on it so much that you decide that, that that's not something that is possible for you. The fear comes in, maybe panicky feelings come in. Um, and these thoughts are so constant. With, with depression, it's a, a lot of times of, um, I don't have the energy to do that, or uh, it's hopeless, so why would I even try? Um, and both sides of it causes you to be in a state of stagnation, right? Um, with art and with creativity, it allows you to, again, hit a pause 
on some of those thoughts. And even just drawing a circle or doing a dance move in, in your room and in the ways that make you feel comfortable, it's a way to kind of snap out of those thoughts for just a second. Um, and, and in that way, it stops you from going down that hole of depression or that hole of anxiety and just allowing you to be here present in the moment. Um, and yeah, I mean, you obviously, I'm not saying, I think a lot of artists, we have this trope, right? Of the depressed artist or the uh, really like mentally anxious artist. And, um, and so I'm not saying that like artists can't experience mental health issues, but perhaps it's a way of like being able to um, channel some of those emotions in a way that helps you ground yourself in into the present. That's, I mean, this, I think this is something that I'm personally trying to work into my life every, every day. And these, it's these micro interactions when I'm overthinking my plans for the night, for the week, for the month, when that you mentioned this possibility of, can you draw a circle, do a dance? These are, I, these are tools that I think are free and are always available for us to tap in. So I think that this is, this is just like completely essential to, um, to solving our like own problems for ourselves. It's like, that's where I hear you taking people is like, I'm not going to tell you what to do creatively, but I am going to support you to discover creative practices that support you to thrive, support you to feel better each day. And so I think that's, that's amazing. Do you have a vision for how you want to bring this work going forward to people? Um, these kind of like how you plan to continue this and, um, in the world. Yeah, I mean, I um, do plan on getting my LCPC so that I can become a licensed therapist. Um, I I don't know if creativity is something or creatrix, you know, this business is something that I'll be doing forever. Um, I think once I get licensed, it might look a little bit differently. I know that I will always be bringing creativity into my practice. Um, I've also... Uh, led workshops on creativity so the last workshop i led was called inspiration rejuvenation and that was and this is a workshop that i've been workshop like kind of uh, editing throughout for the past year or so um but essentially one of the biggest pieces to that is improv like what you're doing and so in addition to helping people solve their own problems it's about pushing people to, out of their comfort zone and putting them to that edge of that comfort zone where they they are trying something that they haven't done before and really just trusting um, that they have the ability to do so. Even if it's not perfect, even if it's scary, you're going to try it. Um, so one of the activities that we do is I'll have um, everybody split into groups and then one group I'll tell them, um, Oh, and then as they're split into groups, I'll give them all props to to use. So it might be a funny hat or like an umbrella or even nipple clamps one time. Um, and so I'll have one group do teach a workshop. Another group, I'll say, uh, create a musical. And then another group, I might say, um, just do an interpretive dance. You know, so uh, all of these groups then at the end well, and I'll only give them 10 minutes to to prep. And then at the end, we all come together for a little showcase. And let me tell you, the, the way that people, when there's that time limit, that time pressure of whether or not you're ready, you're going to do it. Um, when people hear that, first of all, they get really scared um, at first. But then everybody that I've seen, and I've led this workshop, maybe uh, three or four times now. Every time people come up with the most incredible pieces and people are surprised at the end, like of how much they were able to, to come out of their shell of um, improving that when they've never done it before and they feel more relaxed afterwards even. Um, 
And so that's what I want to bring out to people. I want people to really recognize the power that they have, that we are all innately creative and to just let go of the expectations of what quote unquote good art is and just do it. Um, just do it. It's really, yeah, that's really the biggest part is just doing it. Uh, this workshop sounds wonderful. Is there a, is that come, is there a way to find out about that or an upcoming offering time for people? I'd like to take it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm teaching some in D.C. soon, and I'll probably teach another one in Baltimore um, and various festivals. If you follow me on Instagram at Melly.Moves, you can probably see some updates there. Um, yeah, there. I'm definitely looking to bring this workshop forward, even if, um, you know, with my licensure, I stop doing my individual creative coaching. Um, I, I'm definitely going to keep doing this workshop. Um, and I'm still doing individual coaching, at least for the next like year, year and a half. So um, we have time for that as well. You mentioned nipple clamps a minute ago. And also I know that you're, I've seen you pole dance as one of your art forms and you share a lot of amazing dances. Share a little bit about how sexiness, sexuality, how that plays into your art and your coaching. Mm, yeah, so I guess like sexiness doesn't pay, play into my coaching as much, <laughs> but for my art, uh, definitely. And I think there is this, uh, this fear, I guess, of being seen as a sexual being, um, at least in the Western culture um, in the U.S., you know, um, I, I believe that sexuality and creativity is very linked together. Um, if anybody is familiar with chakra system, um, this, our sacral chakra is our sex center and it's also our creativity center. Our sex center, um, you know, literally creates babies, you know, in women and, and in men. Um, but like, that's literally physically how we are creating new beings. Um, I do believe that there is an intersection between like how blocked you are uh, sexually and how blocked you are uh, creatively. And what this means is like, it's not to shame anybody's sexual expression, but rather how the how their environment su supports their sexuality. So for example, someone might be asexual and they might identify as asexual and be highly creative if they have an environment of people who are supporting them in their asexuality, um, but someone who is like hypersexual, you know, like in innately and authentically in their body, but then having people around them who are shaming them for their sexuality or um, people who are maybe taking advantage of their sexuality, they might be a little bit more stagnant creatively as well. Um, so. I obviously like there's no peer reviewed research for this. Um, this is just an idea that I've witnessed within my own life and within the lives of my clients. But I do hope to um, start to bridge that gap a little bit. You know, um, a lot of times when I talk to people about their blocks, relationships is a huge block. And when you're in an environment where you have a partner who is not supportive of your, of your art, or even, you know, like family members who um, constantly question you, it's going to make you question whether or not this is the right path for you. So, um, yeah, so the intersection between sexuality, art, your environment, it's all linked together. And, and, and being a sexual being um, and bringing that into your creative, creative uh, art pieces, it means that you have to be confident means that you have to be you have to be beautiful or like you know uh, in a not not necessarily in physical sense but in a co like confidence sense you know uh, being able to step out of your comfort zone that's um it's all connected and if you truly believe that you are beautiful it will shine through in your art pieces i love that and i a word that comes up for me too in addition to this conversation is pleasure and i experience I experienced the way you create art, your expression is creating a lot of pleasure for you. Like you do when, when 
when sexuality comes in, and this could be my projection, but I feel confident in saying that you're exploring your own, what feels good for you, your pleasure. Like you're putting yourself out there in a way that's not for, maybe you want a response. You know, they're part of the response is part of the fun of it all. But there's a fun and pleasure that comes from, like I can speak from my experience of putting myself out there, of celebrating my own body, of, you know, of doing it for myself in a way when I bring sexuality into my art that I think, yeah, I'd like to just see how you want to weave that into of what pleasure means to you in terms of uh, in this conversation and creativity, how that's important. Sure, yeah. Um, well, I think that art uh, is a container that is that might be a little bit safer um, for some people in expressing their sexuality. And, and I'm saying this from the identity of being an uh, Asian woman, um, where, you know, oftentimes Asian women are hypersexualized in um, just in everyday life. And so being able for me to uh, express myself on the pole sexually and owning that sexuality and having people admire my sexuality is incredibly healing for me. And that is very pleasurable. Um, I do fire dancing as well. And for me, the fire uh, illuminates, you know, parts of my body that maybe when I'm by myself, uh, I might have insecurities about, you know? Um, so I think as a dancer, primarily, you like your body is your art. And I remember growing up um, ha and having dance teachers tell me how to eat or tell me that my body is, is not going to be um, appreciated because of my body shape, you know? That is so disempowering. Um, and so bringing that confidence, that beauty, that sexuality into your art is so healing in, in many layers. Um, and it's so empowering because you are taking, you're, it's like you're taking um, what other people project onto you uh, how you should be sexually, how you should look sexually. And for me, I just kind of like, I'm taking that and then I'm saying, well, I'm going to do whatever I want to do with it. Because this is my art piece. This is my, this is my offering. And this is my body. And, and in that way, I'm rewriting the stories of what I should be or how other people um, are looking at me, you know, and, and taking ownership of that. So, it, yeah, so I think that's like the biggest pleasure that comes from incorporating sexual. Yeah, yeah it's the, the ownership, ownership, the empowerment. That's key. I think that's, I resonate with that too, because I realized that that connects to my own pleasure of the, for me, like this kind of uh, sharing photos of myself, my Jacob Sidian account of like sharing photos of myself with no shirt and like exp expressing myself physically, like with other people and modeling that way even though it wasn't like a hyper-sexualized version of me, I felt like for me that was pleasurable because I took ownership of, of sharing myself. And like it was a vulnerable, there's a vulnerability to it that was key to me. And I see how, how the pleasure and ownership pieces are intertwined, how it's different to, it's not that um, I feel like one, the performer or the audience are controlling the pleasure, but I feel like when I see a performer or I perform in a way where like I'm owning my own pleasure and I'm not apologizing or not, uh, not hiding in a way like that's for me of like to be out there. I think for me that was like, that created a different kind of, of like deeper rooted pleasure of joy, I would say. So I think the pleasure is a piece is in there not to be afraid of, but I think it's also, I'm hearing how you connect it to sovereignty. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Like think about how many times we've had to, um, you know, give our bodies in a way that we didn't want to, you know, it, especially as children, um, you know, where like dance teachers can just like talk about your bodies that way. Um, or, you know, authority figures telling you what you should or should not be like. Um, magazines telling you what is right or wrong, that ownership is so, so empowering. And um, I think, yeah, I mean, I 
I always I know a lot of dancers who do have um, body dysmorphia, and I'm sure some of your listeners out there might um, have experienced that themselves. But using art and creativity and dance as a way of transmuting that and and saying my body is mine, I'm able to do these moves. I'm I'm appreciative of my body for letting me do these moves. Um, it's so incredibly healing and yeah, ownership, that pleasure and ownership. It's vulnerable, but it's a, it, and it goes back to that expansion contraction, right? You might expand a little bit and you might contract a little bit, but it's all part of the journey. It's all part of the process. A lot of truth there and feeling too how, yeah, it brings up a lot. And I think that for me, it was, I didn't have the dance, the, the criticism of my body, this, the same experience as you of the dance teacher thing like that. But I definitely was carrying this um, feeling that I wasn't beautiful or feeling that I have shame around me. You know, I think it's like a, just like a normal Jewish guy. It's kind of hairy guy, you know, like not never in that great feeling like I was in that great shape um, or like worth like to own some sexiness for me in those pictures, you know, of like of, um, of putting myself out there that way of, I've done some body paint stuff with you and with other artists this year. And um, like the more that I take, the more that I start to care, like about share my body and care about my body that way, the more I want to care for it too. Like I am more like inspired to just, just eat well, to exercise, to just, to be like, and for me, it's like, cause you know, that like when I was putting myself, when in the past, it was always something I will, it was, it kind of actually parallels the creative, creative piece of like, I'm never ready. Like I'm never, I never have the resources, the time, the, per, it's never perfect. Like the, the, the putting myself out there with my body, both got over my perfectionist, helped me get over my perfectionist that my body's not perfect. It never will be perfect. And at the same time, I got this balanced dose of like self-love of like, I enjoy feeling beautiful. I enjoy like caring for this vessel that I'm in this body that carries me everywhere and sharing it and like using it to express sensuality, sexuality, art and model that way. That was, that, these are all things that really came up in the last you know year and a half since we've been working together has been an important part of my expansion. And so it feels really good to name that on this, uh, on this episode with you. Thank you for sharing that reflection, Jake. I, um, I don't think we like have explicitly talked about this um, in our session. So I'm really glad to hear it now. And, you know, having an audience for this reflection, I think it makes it even more powerful. Um, yeah. And, you know, when you were talking about body painting, the I, I do this, um, I, I haven't done it in a minute because of COVID, but um, I used to do one on one intuitive body painting sessions, um, where I would paint someone as where talking about their um you know their just like their problems in life or whatever they want to reflect on um it's and just that simple act of being in front of a stranger and having like looking at your body being painted um and feeling vulnerable and free um i i see people going deeper in their shares people people feeling more safe to um, touch on some of the traumas that they've experienced. Um, and it really is a really powerful tool of connection. Um, you know, we talked about workshops. I used to lead uh, body painting workshops. And by the in the beginning, you know, I'll like see everybody who is like contracted and nervous and people saying that they're not an artist or a painter and people not knowing each other. And by the end of the night, everybody would be covered in colors uh, and with smiles on their face. Most people might even be like naked. Um, and the there's just this like very um, potent and evident shift that happens within the span of two or three hours. Um, so yeah, the power of body painting, the power of vulnerability, the power of being free in our body and our nakedness and in, in our nature. Um, so important. 
I've definitely benefited from body painting that way. And I share an appreciation of it. It's another new thing, new thing for me. And I think that seeing our bodies is like these canvases that we can create on together, the sensuality of the practice and witnessing each other. Uh, yeah, it feels, it feels good to name those qualities of it because I posted a handful of pictures with body paint on me and had interesting reactions from people. You know, some, uh, some people were, were, were challenged by, by body painting and by sharing body painting in the world. And I think that that's an art form that I didn't really understand or I didn't really understand or respect until a couple of years ago until I started trying it. And now I see that there's, there's so much to it and it's a healing, it's a real healing art. I think the, the bringing together people to both make art and touch and be present like that, I think is, and to celebrate our bodies, like that level of things, I really support this now. And I see it as like one of the gifts you're bringing, bringing in the world. So thank you for doing that. Yeah, it's so interesting, right? Like what people get triggered by. Um, and one of our the conversations that we've had uh, in our session, Jake, that I really love is this idea that uh, you, you want your art to uh, challenge people. You know, and I, I do think that's what good art means, um, if there is a good art. Um, but for me, I think any art that challenges people, makes them think, makes them feel maybe a little bit uncomfortable, it's going to, I think that's the, the purpose of why we create art. You know, it's to get people to think deeper, to feel a little bit deeper, um, to see things in a different perspective in a way they've never thought about before. Um, and someone who might be triggered by body painting, well, that's someone who I would sit down and think, you know, what about that is really triggering for you? Is it the naked body? Is it that they look so free? Do you just not like the painting? You know, like, but what is it about that piece that is really triggering for you? And what does that say about you um, as the viewer if you're triggered by that? Um, and a lot of times uh, when I see people uh, triggered by nudity, by expression, uh, it means that there's something within them that is blocked, that they, they can't see themselves in that role. So they want to bring other people down as well. And no judgment to them because everybody has their own stories, but you know, um, seeing it in that light might, might uh, help artists take the criticisms that come from you know the internet um, or just people or just haters you know like it might help them see those criticisms in a different way and uh, in a way that empowers them to continue creating rather than stop i'm starting to develop a new engine to put or to put the furnace to put those criticisms in that generates more of that expression for myself because when i hear that i've when I hear that I've touched on a, 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 an area like that, a sensitive area, you know, cause I'm not, and I'm not someone who's just blasting through social norms and like going to the edge with things. I'm not, you know, I don't identify myself yet as like this radical artist, but nonetheless, my artistic expression does touch on limits and boundaries people have for themselves and triggers. And I'm finding that when I do that, like body painting is a really interesting example. That just makes me want to like go further with that. You know, that just, I'm putting that into this furnace of like, okay, there's something here that's edgy for me and my community or for people in my circle. And I'm not putting this in their face, but I am putting it like out there in the world. And I think that just indicates a level of like juiciness or growth. I think that is potential when something like that does strike that up in the world. And I do identify myself as someone who likes to provoke others, likes to challenge others to step into their authentic self and speak their truth. Like, I mean, it's one of the intentions of why I'm doing this podcast is to model that in the world and to bring that forward with people who have really inspired me and who have, um, who have amazing gifts and wisdom like yourself to share in the world is like, let's get, let's talk about that. Let's get that out there. Um, and like do it in a vulnerable way. And so I think we're really, we're hitting that, we're hitting that mark today, Melly, with this conversation. So I'm feeling grateful. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I've seen that shift as well. Like, uh, maybe like a year or two ago, Jake, like might not be as in your face, you know, uh, or willing to challenge, willing to cause discomfort. Um, and I, I think that 
it's natural why we have those fears of not wanting to uh, create, I guess, chaos um, in the world. And there is this natural need for humans to have connection. And when that connection is being threatened or, um, you know, like being harmed based on something that you're doing doesn't feel good. And so it's completely natural if you right now feel that way of like, you know, maybe I'm not um, doing art because because my mom uh, would tell me that if I did, she would be really upset with me. Or if I posted this uh, video online, my employers would be very upset with me. Of course, of course, we have to navigate those um, those those connections because we're human and we live in a society with other humans however we can within the boundaries of our um of our lives push those edges right like you know maybe you don't post a naked picture of yourself um pole dancing on facebook because it violates like whatever facebook restrictions it has but maybe tape some like, you know, like nipple, nipple stuff on and put on some underwear so that it stays up on Facebook and put some nice music, you know, to make it uh, a little bit more digestible for other people. It's all about that balance, right? And so much of our talk today has been about our own personal um, desires when it comes to creating art. And I think we, we need to really hold on to that because that's what makes art sustainable. But for the people who are listening who want to become a uh, professional artist, there is this reality that you have to listen to your audience. And if you piss off too much of your audience with your uh, unhinged, like chaotic, uh, you know, expression, you might not sell as much pieces. That might be the reality. You know, um, and so finding that balance of listening to your community um, and what feels good for and authentic for you is really what's going to make you um, sustainable as a professional artist and make doing art feel fun and fulfilling each day. Um, and so in that it's not it's not easy to strike. And I'm sure that I have been on both sides where I've been too out there or not enough because I'm like thinking about what other people think but again all every day is an experiment and if one piece doesn't resonate the next piece might um and again it's all goes back to just do it just keep on going and we'll find that that balance let's talk about that fundamental piece of even labeling myself as an artist that's been one of the journeys through our work together is owning that I'm an artist like that. I was uncomfortable with that label at the outset. I mean, you're, you're going to the level of professional, professional artist. Uh, but even the identity before that, I think for me and for others of just naming that, that word had a lot of power to me of like, I always saw myself as, oh, I'm a bassist, you know? Oh, I'm like, I, I do, I'm this like defined by this one instrument that I play. You know, I, I had trouble being, um, my friend, uh, my friend Mike Kaplan, he's, I'm going to be on his podcast in a few weeks uh, called um, Broccoli and Ice Cream. Uh, he's a joke. He's a comedian. It's a joke that, uh, is anyone here a poet, he says, and then um, if no one's a poet, then he's a poet. Like, is anyone here a musician? Like, uh, this joke of, like, he'll be the thing if, like, nobody else is the thing. Uh, and kind of. And so, for me, I kind of felt like I'm still, I'm still maybe there with, you know, I'm, I'm like every new podcasts and art idea, art, artwork I make, it's still even more I'm trying to own this identity of being an artist that I think you really supported me on of just saying that we're all artists, that you're an artist. And it's one of the things that I want to like bring in the world too is this kind of collective realization that we all can make many different kinds of art. And something I get a lot from my work with children who don't, aren't limited, who just are artists born that way. And so it's been a realization I've had in that early childhood uh, working, working with kids too. So it's been important to me. Yeah. Uh, oh my gosh. That identity, identity piece is so important. Um, 
if, if we think about other aspects of identity, I like our diversity, um, our cultural background, our, um, you know, me as an Asian woman, the way that I present myself, other people ha already have, um, you know, internal biases, whether they recognize it or not. So as an artist, if you think about it that way, what does it mean when you say to other people and they ask you, what do you do for a living? And you say, oh, I'm a professional fire dancer. If I say that, there's many things that come up for other people, which is one, it's just a little out there. Um, two, um, do you do drugs? Is that like, what is your, what are your family like? Um, you know, you know, what, why are you doing that? Um, there's like probably judgments that maybe she doesn't make enough money or, uh, they, maybe I don't, I don't do like other things and like, I can't support myself another way. So there's a, there's a lot of different expectations that, um, just, and I think every profession experiences this, but like, you know, that first question of what do you do, uh, really is something that's so important, uh, whether we like her or not and causes judgment from other people. Um, one thing that is different about being an artist from other professions is that when people say, when, when you say, oh, I'm a professional writer or I'm a professional dancer or whatever, there's often this like thing of, wow, you're so brave or like, oh, I could never do that. Um, and behind that is this, is this fear, right? Of like, how can you make a living that way? Uh, doing this all the time isn't it stressful isn't it like you know is, is this really something that can uh, help you achieve the life you want and other professions don't have that right like if you're an engineer people are like oh that's cool you probably make a stable living um, but art in particular has this rep of being something that only the very out there people can do, only the very creative uh, people can do, and maybe, and I think that uh, that by itself has limited many people from trying to pursue art, even as a side career, because of that fear that if I were to do this, if I were to invest time and energy into this, I might not make money. And that is just simply not true. There's many, many ways to make money as an artist. Certainly creativity is part of any, most, most professions, creativity can elevate your game too. And I think that it's like imagining that per, a person hypothetically is both an engineer and an artist and they're asked, what do you do? You know, it'd be easier just to say I'm an engineer or I'm a, a stockbroker or something or like, some, you know, some, or a doctor, you know, but many of these people are just like, in their hearts are probably more artists. They're more, it would be more accurate to be, to, to say that you know, to, to say they're an artist because that's where they're, how they're you know, existing in the world as an artistic person. And so I just think for me, it's been interesting to play with the charge that label has. You know, you said there's some power, there's some way that's that challenges someone who's choosing to be an artist, especially hasn't achieved fame or acclaim yet. That That's I think the more challenging if you're an up and coming artist to say that, to own that label and, and deal with that judgment. I think there's like, that's, there's that side of it. And then there's that internal side of it of like, recognizing your own potential as an artist and then i think i think ideally you are one i am and others are starting to say like i want to start saying that more i'm setting that intention now on the podcast and when people ask what i do i want to throw artists in there maybe i'll give myself a few adjectives uh, or, or roles but i want artists to be one of them in the future and i'm i think that uh you you played a big role in, in normalizing that and strengthening that and that for me and that brings more richness and truth to my experience yeah, I mean, if um, anybody takes anything from this podcast that we're doing right now, it's maybe uh, the next time someone asks you, what do you do? You know, uh, don't just go straight for the nine to five job that you're in. Think a little bit and think about, you know, maybe you can say I'm an artist or I'm a writer or I'm a dancer. You know, when people say, what do you do? It maybe they're asking about what you're most passionate about. And so think about like, is, is your nine to five what you're most passionate about? 
it might be, um, it would be great if it is, you know, but if you also feel passion for other things, just try it out and see what happens. Like use it as an experiment. Um, and the people who really truly care about you, who really uh, are invested in your growth and you want in your community will support you. Um, and, and I think that's a really big part of it. It's uh, owning that identity and then having other people uh, witness you, witnessing you in that identity. And that is natural accountability, right? Now that you said you're an artist, you really do have to do it. I, I, I've been doing the, what are you passionate about question too with people. And, um, and then I, I just experienced the even higher level of that. I felt last night I went to a workshop and they had us pair off. Uh, and we asked each other, who are you? And like just feeling the energy of that was powerful. Not like, what do you do? What are you outside in the world? Do you care about, but who are you? You know, I think that's what I'm, uh, what I, and it's not socially acceptable yet just to meet people maybe and say, who are you? Like, you know, that kind of intensity. And I could even feel my, my um, it, it, was a, it was a dance workshop and I could feel my, you know, my partner was new to this, she was saying, and how that was edgy for her to say who you are. And that was, um, it, it was edgy for me too. It was great to, it was, it was a great exercise to do it for two minutes. You say, who, who are you in the world? And like, that's, I mean, I also like leave people, um, encourage people, you know, something to take away too is who are you? Are you an artist? I think you are. Do you think you are? So just a little reflection, <laughs> another reflection piece. Is there anything else you'd love to you'd like to leave people with today um, before we uh, finish up here, Melly? Yeah, I mean, I really enjoyed this conversation. I think we touched on so many different parts of what being creative means um, and, you know, the work that I do and how um, other people can is take that and incorporate it into their daily lives. Um, yeah, I guess like just to sum up everything I did and what I really want people to, to leave this podcast with is just that you are an artist and you can examine the excuses that you have in your head of why you're not. Uh, but I can tell you that most of those excuses are either self-generated um, from past stories or beliefs, or it's being told to you by um, other authority figures in your life. And so examining those stories um, is really the first step in unblocking your creativity. And thinking about the way that you prioritize creativity in your life, um, is, is this as important for you as uh, going to the groceries or going going on a jog um, and if it's not then why is that you know and everybody has had this thought of I'm not a singer I'm not a dancer etc cetera, etc cetera. Um, and maybe just for this next few days start to have an experiment with yourself of just rewriting next that story of saying all the things that you're not do it you know, like, if you can't sing, sing. If you can't dance, dance. Um, and this could be in front of other people. It could be in your room. Whatever uh, way that it feels comfortable for you, whatever way that helps you incorporate just five minutes or 10 minutes of creativity into your life each day, um, do it. And see how it goes. Use it as an experiment. See how you feel after a month, uh, two months. Um, and keep checking in because I, I do believe, and like you said before, all kids are innately creative and the school system is what kind of stamps that out of them. And so bring, coming back to your inner child, coming back to the joy and that, that enjoyment of, uh, of creativity, that's really what I want people to tap back into with today. You heard it here, folks. Let's tap back into that, Melly. Those are I'm gonna I'm gonna probably play this part back when I need it. I'm glad I got that on record. That pep talk and that that push. I love the way you push me. You're a powerful coach, a fantastic artist, a great friend. We've had so much fun together. I'm really grateful to have you in my life. And I feel like you've supported me in such amazing ways. And it makes me feel good to have this conversation recorded for people in the world and to know you're out there supporting others like this. So so much gratitude for coming on. 
Thank you so much, Jake. This was so, so fun. And I'm endlessly grateful for our connection as well. Um, and yeah, if anybody wants to find me, um, I am on Instagram at Melly.moves. My body painting page is paint number four and bodies, paint for bodies. Um, and yeah, I'm looking forward to connecting with more people and sharing uh, the joy of creativity. Amazing. I'll put those links in the description too for folks. And thanks again, Melly, for coming on. That was my podcast with Melly Huang. What a wonderful conversation. Um, I hope everybody enjoyed that as much as I did. That meant a lot to me, having that deep, vulnerable conversation there uh, and getting into this journey I've taken with her as an artist. I think it's been a beautiful, it's been a beautiful ride. And just this chance to reflect publicly like this on it was a real gift. And if you enjoyed this episode, check out my episodes with Zachary Townsmith on creativity. Um, it's another another take, another look at the value of creativity and solving the world's problems and practices that you can integrate in your life today. Uh, once again, make sure to like and subscribe this episode. If you're interested, um, if you have any questions or comments, please leave it in the Facebook group or send an email to fourgardenspodcast at gmail.com. Wishing everybody there a beautiful day. Thank you again for listening. <laughs>